Economic Update, presented by Global Wealth Club's Stephen Pettith and Edward Black. As I was saying, welcome everyone to week 80 of the Economy Update. Time is definitely flying. Um, past yeah, 80 weeks now, we're well on our way to 100. I'm sure, who knows, we'll see where it takes us if we can reach like 200, 250 and maybe 1,000 eventually, who knows. But anyway, how are you today, Stephen? I'm great. I'm great. How are you after your, your trip to Bali? Uh, actually, Thailand. But, I mean, I see what you... After after being there, I see what you mean, why you love Thailand so much. Like, the cost of living is so much better there. The climate, um, even just the culture, there's much different to here in Australia. And it just feels a lot more freer. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. But if it, it opened my perspective to why you and a lot of other people are, move, are considering a move there or, like, basing yourself there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've been going to Thailand for, you know, God knows, 40 years. How old am I now? 30 years, you know, um, and yeah, at least 30 years and um, running up and down, you know, going in and out, li- live there on and off, you know, for the last, well, up until COVID, so eight years before that, you know, had a villa, um, moved, moved on, <clears throat> would look to get another villa there again. Um, so, yeah, uh, magnificent, magnificent place. Yeah. Um, especially the, depending on where you go, you know, um, there's, um, there's, uh, oh God, I, I like Koh Samui, um, but in anywhere on that Serathani Peninsula or Serathani area, Pattaya, uh, uh, Rayong, um, then there's, um, uh, Phuket, uh, I, I like the beachy places, um, and that, uh, there's a lot of places right up to um, yeah, Chiang Mai up in the border up there. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of, of the mountain stuff. I do like Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is the second largest city in Thailand. It's quite a nice city. Um, and uh, especially, um, you know, the garden stuff that's out, out around it, further out than, um, that you get. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Thailand's great. And look, Thailand's a kingdom. <clears throat> it's the only kingdom that's never been conquered. In the last 5,000-odd years, uh, it's lost some land, um, you know, being uh, Laos and Cambodia, for instance, a bit of Myanmar, where Myanmar is. But, um, but other than that, it's, uh, it's pretty much a sovereign nation and has remained a sovereign nation for, for quite some time. Yeah, and you can, you can definitely feel like the difference in the energy there as well. It does feel a lot more free than somewhere like Australia. And we've got a few people saying they're in Pattaya, like um, Jeff is in Pattaya, Billy is visiting there next month. Um, so it looks like everyone's got the same idea. But um, yeah, I think the, the thing that really opened my eyes was the difference in cost of living. Because like somewhere like here, you would go out to a pub, pay about... If you get, say, a burger with a drink, it might cost you about $30 or something. Over there, you can pretty much have three meals with drinks for um, roughly the same price, a little bit more, probably around $35 or something, and you've got your whole day covered with your meals, whereas here it's just one meal. So Yeah. yeah I, I can remember, again, my first trip into Thailand was when I was back in the Navy, so quite a while ago, and beers were like 45 cents. You know, for a long neck, you know, the big long neck beers, so the 750 mils, it's cost us like 45 cents or something. You know, it was just ridiculously cheap. Um, and, 
uh, and the kids used to come around and collect all the bottles. And, uh, yeah, we had fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Philippines is good as well. I, I really like the Philippines. Uh, yeah, for uh, sure. Even, even transporting yourself, like um, hiring a scooter there or having a scooter and paying for fuel, you're really only spending about $10 a day or somewhere near that price, $12 a day on, on pretty much going wherever you want. Mate, I used to get a van. So I'd get a van and a driver and it cost me 50 or 60 bucks a day, you know, when, when we needed it. Uh, cost you nothing. Yeah, you know, taxis, local taxis and that sort of stuff don't cost you a lot. And mm. uh, yeah, uh, it, it's good. Uh, Uber, uh, not, uh, is it Uber? Um, uh, no, not Uber. Uh, I use Grab. Grab. Yeah. Grab. Yeah. So, yeah, if you, if you see me like in one of these economy updates in Bali or Thailand, you'll know exactly why. 100%. Go for it. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get straight into the economy update. So once again, guys, welcome. It's great to see you guys on here. I'm glad we can all share this moment with Thailand. I think we all share that in common that is a lot different to Australia. Um, once again, we're in week 80. Time is flying. And for those of you that are new to the economy update or those that have been here before, um, we'll be following the normal structure, which is updating on news around the Australian economy for the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes or so, depending how long it goes. Once we do that, we'll then take questions and move on to the global economy. And um, if we don't have any questions, we'll just keep moving forward and covering whatever we need to. So as we talk, feel free to put your questions in the Q&A box and we'll get to them once we've finished our points. But without further ado, the first point we'll get straight into for the Australian economy. And we actually briefly touched on this probably about two, three weeks ago, where um, there's been a bit of talk around governments that they actually, the Labor Party wants to increase the number of politicians that are working in Canberra. They want to do this by 30% and increase the number by that number. So um, can you just share their reasoning behind this based on what we've what they've been saying? <laughs> How would well, it look? Yeah, so, it was- so this is um um so in the budget was the increasing of the public service, right, and the staffers to politicians, right? So that's already been granted. That's already going on. Every member, every member of parliament gets one, one extra staff member um, uh, out of this budget, and plus all their staff can go to Canberra rather than just one or maybe two going to Canberra. What this, this is coming about, and it, it's still in white paper state, so it's still in talks and, um, and but it is part of Labor's manifesto. Meanwhile, I, I think you'll find the Liberal Party and that will support it as well because it means that they pretty much gain more seats in places like Queensland um, and, <clears throat> and to some extent WA. So what they're doing is they're, they're looking at increasing the size of the elected members by 30%. So that's 50 people in the lower house so an extra 50 seats Australia-wide in the lower house and an extra 24 senators, right? That is huge. Because don't forget, whenever you increase... <clears throat> so to have a member of parliament... and, and So I'll go back a step. Their rationale behind this is most electorates now have got 100,000 electors in, right? So they range between 90 and, and 110. Um, thousand people and they're saying, oh, that's too many people that, you know, for a politician to look after. Pigs ass, right? A, a lot of the other countries around the world have a lot larger population per elected member, 
the UK, I, I think, is one hundred and fifty thousand per per member, um, depending on 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 um, uh, on electorate. But it, it's it's definitely um, not. What it's really about is is Labor think that by doing this, they can gerrymander the electorates to favour them, to keep them in power. And the coalition will be doing the same thing. They'll be lobbying and trying to work out the gerrymander, trying to work out the boundaries to get the best representative view. Meanwhile, every every, every member of the lower house will have six staff, right? So you've got their officers, right? So not, not just their own salaries, right, and all the perks and everything that go along with it, um, but you're going to have six staff members extra. You're going to have um, extra officers needed, so there's probably going to be a, a – um, I can't remember if there's spare officers in Canberra on both, both sides um, to actually house everyone. So you're probably going to have to have renovation works at Parliament House. You're going to have to have um, extra security detail. You're going to have to have um, extra staff in Canberra to hold. So basically, this is just blowing up the the public service that is around um, the entire parliamentary system. It's just crazy. Um, Then with the senators, so you get another 24 senators. So... I'm not sure what the spread will be on 24 senators, but it's pretty much going to be uh, probably an extra three or four, probably an extra four uh, per state uh, and an extra one or two for the territories. So you're going to have um, just a a lot more, a lot more people. Now, what that will bring in in the Senate um, is a lot more lower house, sorry, a lot more... um, um, independents and third parties because what will happen in places, say Tasmania gets an extra three, where you, where you need basically four people and a goat um, to be elected to the Senate, it just means that you're going to need less people. So your quotas are going to be less to get elected. So at the moment, it's uh, quotas about 11%. Um, but if, you, if you're adding more people getting elected every time around, that 11% all of a sudden becomes 8%, right? And so that that's minuscule um, and makes it easier for minor parties to get elected. Now, that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Um, it could also mean that we could end up with, um, in some places like Victoria, <clears throat> a bit of a lockout uh, on in Labor seats because Victoria is moving to that left thing, so you're going to end up with more Greens and, and that sort of stuff in the Senate. So this is just, um, it's once again, it's politicians looking after politicians. It, it goes to show you that they don't trust the people, that they need, they want more men, they want more numbers, right? And, and they want more numbers to try and, and create and swing everything their way. So this is not a good good policy uh, and a good outcome for the people. We should be going the other way. We should be culling uh, politicians and we should be culling the staff and, and culling the sitting days and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't, the thing that, the thing that really, um, and once again, so you've got more members, you're going to probably have more sitting days, you're probably going to have, have more turnover of bills. 
the problem we've got with Parliament now is they truly believe every time they sit they've got to introduce a new bill to be seen to be doing something. Well, what about redacting bills? What about taking bills out of uh, out of circulation? Actually having what the, I think the UK did it. Was it the UK or what one? I can't remember which. No, it might have, it might have actually been New Zealand. No, no, it was the UK. It was the UK under under Thatcher? Um, had um, I can't remember. Was it once a term or once anyway? Once in every now and then they would have a sitting that was to repeal bills. Didn't last long, you know, because that's not sexy and doesn't get your headlines. Um, when you're repealing bills, but taking someone's freedom away about and by introducing a bill gets you the headlines in the media. So um, what what Parliament should be doing is every bill that they bring to Parliament should be accompanied by 10 bills that they've got to repeal. Um, but, you know, that's never going to happen. You know, when, when our Parliament was first formed, there would have been, I don't know, say 100 bills. Now there must be, I don't know, 20 30,000 um, different statutes. It's, it's just ridiculously large, um, the, the, the bills. So. Well, because I think you were talking about it's not only by, by doing this and increasing the number of uh, public servants in government, you were mentioning about how it's not only their wage that we have to factor in towards paying, but it's also their office spaces as well as some other benefits that come with it. So, how much money, roughly, do you think would be allocated towards ARC? How much extra money would they need to come up with? Um, even though it's a 30% increase in the size of Parliament, I would say it's probably a 70, 50 to 70% increase in the amount of money they've got to spend. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's not just, okay, we increase it by 30%, so our budget to run... Um, the politicians and, and Parliament House will go up by it, it won't. Um, it, it, it will go up by uh, I reckon a good 60 percent. Let, let's let's land on that. So the budget Parliament's budget will go up by 60 percent and um, um, you know for, for a 30 percent increase in the number. And is that going to come from taxpayers' money or is it going to come from um, spending less money in other areas? Well, um, uh, government's money only comes from taxpayers. Yeah. Right. Go, 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 government doesn't doesn't make money any other way. So government only only makes money out of taxing and levying um, individuals and companies. Right. So at the end of the day, we always pay. The taxpayer in this country always pays. Always. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes. So. Um, so this is just another increase on the budget. And now you can imagine another 50 members of parliament, they're all going to want pork barreling for their pork barreling for their local electorates. But not only that, and, and, and this is, I'm just running this through my head. So come election time, right? Um, we all know that every voter member gets over 4%, right? They get a dollar amount for. So now you've got an extra 50 members out there. And, and if we just look at, at it this way, you've got an extra 20 Liberals, an extra 20 Labor, an extra 10 crossbench. Um, I'm just, I'll just be, be rats. So they will actually, even though the pool of, of people voting 
is still similarly the same, but because they're actually getting more um, more starters right in the field, you're you're actually going to have to put more money in right to cope with with having to pay the individuals as well. So where where for instance um, you might have had in one say in one seat, you might say, say if one seat got split to two, because now there's an extra member in that area. Well, where, where that seat might have only had, say, the local member um, take 60% of the vote, then the rest was split between two or three other people that got four, four, more than 4%. Now that could get, so, so what could happen is Liberal and Labor being the largest two, could end up with more, right, in the percentage and, and the minor parties end up with less because they won't reach the 4% mark because now, so you know, because if you look at it, you've got 100,000 people, split into two, 50,000 people. When you, when you work out the percentages and numbers, um, the, the Liberals and Labor will take more of the overall pie. Um, so, so this, look, there'd be a lot of, work gone in about this, how it benefits Liberal and Labor, 100%. And because Labor's proposing it, Labor would have done a lot of work on how it's going to benefit them the most. So. Mm -hmm. um, we had a question come through from Christine. Does that mean they would change the electorates or more members per electorate? No, 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 change the electorates. So there'd be more electorates. Right. So at the moment, we've got, what, 152 lower house. Um, that'll become 200. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be more electorates, just the less this less electorates, less electors or residents, people that can vote per electorate. But they'll fill that up with immigration. You know, we know over the next two two years, actually the next five years, the number that they want to bring in is astounding. It's uh, it's close like four million people or something stupid um, because of all the the reunifications and all this sort of shit that can go on in the background. So. There's actually quite a lot of um, um, uh, damage can actually be done to 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 the country by this, uh, and you can end up with a lot of a lot more stalemates too. A lot more bills that should get passed not getting passed, and so forth. So. Mm, definitely. Well, we'll move on to the next point now, which sort of it sort of follows on from what we're talking about here in terms of um, with the Australian government, but pretty much with everything going on in the federal parliament, so with what we're seeing um, on the topic we just spoke about, as well as Labor passing a lot of laws and living by double standards and lies, as everyone can see, and also the coalition being divided on their own policies, do you think we're seeing a further decline in the trust of government from um, from the people? Hugely, hugely. Um, you know, we, we've we've seen all the all the double standards around the Brittany Higgins case in in um, down in Canberra. You know, we've got we've got senators going that senators that have blatantly lied to Parliament being protected. We've got um, we, we've got um, collusion between. Um, members of parliament, right, to gain political points on different things. People are looking at this going, this is just stupid, right? And and now it, it's actually making 
uh, things like sexual assault. It's making things like uh, even general crime, um, you know, just um, getting to the point where people just have no trust that government will fix anything. And, and this is what we've, we've said. The decline of a nation in a big way starts when, when trust in government really, really goes, disappears. Um, and, and we're starting to see that all over the world. We're starting to see that in the US. We're starting to see it in the UK. Have a look at Scotland, you know, with, you know, the old Scottish leader being arrested um, over a scandal. Um, there is this stuff just happening all over the world that is just eroding uh, any trust, um, any belief uh, in our political system. And what tends to happen here is once this happens as well, you tend to slide to the lowest common denominator, right? So people get fed up and then don't want to fight and all that sort of stuff because it's, ah, oh, what's the point? But those that do tend to be the ones that push the worst ideas, right? That the rowdy minority, the transgender movement, the, the, um, the, the climate change people, right? When you actually have a look and really delve into the numbers, it's all been pushed by minorities and always been pushed by minority groups. And when we can cut out those minority groups, um, you actually start to get to a sensible position on everything. Right? And, and But what happens is, is at the moment when, when you get all this double standard and you get infighting in the parties, what, there's infighting in, in the coalition, there's infighting in the Liberals, there's infighting in the Nationals, but there's huge infighting in Labor. Right? They just hide it very well. Right? The, the factions in Labor are, are really starting to ramp up. Um, the things at the moment that are going on that Daniel Andrews is supposed to have come out to his deputy and said, uh, build your team now because I'm stepping down, right? He wouldn't be doing that if he didn't think his legacy was going to get broken up by someone else from a different faction in the Labor Party becoming Premier. So there is a, a Labor war happening in, in Victoria now because the writing's on the wall. You know, I, I think I mentioned this before that, that Daniel Andrews will go, right? Um, and and will go. And, it's, and, and um, the, the Palachuk up here, she will go because they know that the pitchforks are coming. And most of the pitchforks are actually coming from inside their own party, right? It's the union movements that have been, that have been screwed over by these people during COVID and all that sort of stuff that... Um, because they did the right thing. They did what they were told to do, you know, put mandates on, you know, stop people from working and do this and divide and conquer. Now they're not getting their payback from the leaders that they were promised. So watch the infighting bubble away and erupt, especially in Queensland, WA and Victoria. Um, yeah. it's, it, the Labor Party, it's going to be a volcano. Which is going to be really cool to see. Yeah, and then we'll be having plenty to speak about on this economy update when that happens. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so watch well, this space. There's going to be some interesting stuff happen over the next probably six months. Um, he, he'll probably um, my my view is he may go just before Christmas um, in that October November period. Hmm. 
Well, we'll move on to the next point now, which is we have been talking a lot about, like, especially in the economy updates, we tend to focus more on the problems happening around the economy. But to switch things up, what we're going to do to take a more balanced approach is actually have a look at some of the positive of, of the economy to kind of um, take another perspective so yeah. people can actually see it and not feel completely insane. So from your perspective, what you've been seeing according to stats and news around the economy, what are some genuine positives that are happening here in Australia? Yeah, so just out and about talking to people and, and just, just you know, people in my own network and and listening and, and reading between the lines of some of the small business stats and that that are coming out, um, there's some actually really good things happening underlying in the economy. Um, small businesses are finding ways to stay profitable. They're, fi- they're, they're, they're finding ways to keep in front um, of, of all the, the, the crap that's out there. Um, some, some small businesses, and I think I mentioned it on here, one of the ways that to get through this is join with other small businesses. Right? There, there, is, there is small businesses out there that are, that are banding together to solve problems. Um, one of the things that I was talking to an accountant, it's an American process, and I'm, I'm really looking at it myself because I love the idea, um, and it's called profit first. And it's a profit first accounting thing. And this, I was talking to this this small business owner, and and uh, it was a husband and wife team. And they said we switched to this because we wanted to look after ourselves and our kids and our charity uh, and our staff, and didn't know how to do it. So they it switched to this profit first system. It basically means that you take a little bit of profit out of your business. And so, so say you get paid a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars. You take $2 out and put it into a profit account. You take some more out for your owner's compensation. Then you take some more out for this. And then what for your taxes and, and, and other things and subcontractors and all that you got to pay. Then what's left is what you have to pay your bills on. So it forces you to look for savings. It forces you to go out there and streamline your systems and processes in business. Now, at the same time, I mean, I've started hearing and, and, and on one of the TV shows, I can't remember what it was, um, I was in one of the doctor surgeries I then had it on, and it caught my eye that um, it was people are doing what, what I've been saying for, for a while is finding extra revenue streams, right? And some of these extra revenue streams are renting out a bedroom in your, in your property, um, convert one of the guys have converted his garage. It had a shower and toilet in it already, converted it into a, like a little studio apartment and is renting that out. Because a lot of the, lot of the states now are starting to change their granny flat rules, right? So, um, and um, I think it's Northern Rivers. As long as there's no fixed cooking, like fixed gas stoves and that sort of stuff in, you can pretty much have a, a second dwelling space um, um you know, made out of a carport. So things are like this are changing and people started taking advantage of it. It's fantastic. Um, the uh, the um, people are, you know, curbing what they're spending, changing their habits, realising that you can go to Aldi rather than here or you can go to your local um, grocer and, and you know, buy beef and, and stuff, beef, meat in bulk and cut it up between people and, and all this. So there's all these little things that, um, us, people are actually working out themselves. 
and, and I find that really, really good. Um, and, and But once again, it's sort of happening on the fringes of cities. It's not happening downtown uh, in cities uh, where, where you, you real wokey lefties, you know, government's got to save me types live. Um, but definitely on the outer fringes and, and all that sort of stuff, that's where this is happening. Uh, and it's really good to see. Uh, and, look, I, I, would, I would say to everyone out there, Really have a look at look at your expenses. Look at what you're spending money on. Um, look at um, uh, you know if you can save five ten percent um, over a month, you know that's a huge amount. And then then you can start you know saving save half of that, um, and and um, uh, and then build up your emergency funds and build up all that other the sort of stuff that we've talked about. So. No, no, there, there was a lot of good stuff happening out there. Um, some people are panic, panicking, panicking still, but just stop and think. Um, don't don't rush into do anything, and don't do anything too hastily. Um, some of the the worst decisions I've made in business and, and personally is when um, I've I've become really worried about the outcome of something. Um, and or really worried about a process or something, and then made a decision based on that worry thought rather than clearing your head, finding your mentor, finding someone you can talk to and talking it through. A lot of times when you talk it through, you find your own solutions, right? And you find your own uh, path that, that helps you get to wherever you've got to get. So you, you, you sort of work your way through it in your own, own head. No, I'm, I'm seeing some good stuff. I think it's good to hear that because it's easy to get caught up in the negativity, especially when you've got um, a lot of things going on. So having a look at some of the positives and things that we can actually celebrate um, always helps kind of make us feel a little bit more grounded and sane. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and look, the number one thing to do is turn off social media. Hmm. Turn off social media or turn off everything that is negative, right? If, if it's – and because you, you can go into social media and block people and all that sort of stuff um, and, and just have the streams that give you the balanced view, right? Don't just all have one side, right? But you do need a balanced view on what's happening. But you can, turn, you can tone down um, the negativity, uh, because we get bombarded with lots of negative negativity sells, right? Negative negativity keeps people frozen in fear and then then in control. Uh, so go out there and turn it down, uh, or just turn it off. You know, turn the TV off. Um, you know, um, if you if you can't, you know, can't get rid of the Kardashians straight away. Um, well, watch one Kardashian show and then replace it by one History Channel show or you know something like that uh, and and change so you get a balance of of what's going on mm, for sure so um and yeah like christine says there don't listen to whinges and fear so yeah for you listen to yeah yeah 100 so yeah but, and, and look what, what we what we're doing on the on this economy update is um i i, I don't want to Build fear, even though sometimes we we hit we 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 hit the negative. It's more about being aware of what's happening out there, right? 
And it's making sure that you're aware of these things. Because some of the things that we bring up most aren't in the in the media, right? Try and find some of the stuff that we talk about in the in the, the frontline media. That's because they don't want it known about, right? But then at the end of the day, we've got to balance that with with some good, interesting, you know, um, hard truths that, that you can go and follow and do um, and then take actions to make it happen. Mm, for sure. Well, it doesn't seem like there's any questions so far on the Australian economy, but that wraps up all the points we had covered for the Australian one. So if you guys do think of anything as time goes on, um, either put it in the Q&A box and we'll get to it at the end or feel free to email it after this and we can cover it in next week's economy update. Um, whichever's best. So we'll now move to the global economy. And as always, starting off with the fan favourite Trump watch, um, can you give us the latest update around what's happening with Donald Trump, especially more focused around his polls, how that's trending, as well as his popularity? Oh, man. Um, once again, he got indicted, um, as we said a couple of weeks, uh, last week in that, and numbers went through the roof again. Um, he spiked up as high as 60% in one of the polls, um, was carrying around uh, 58% in one, but where, where he really is at the moment is 52 53%. This is of GOP primary people, mind you. Um, DeSantis now has slipped back a little bit. Um, he is, um, he is uh, I'm just trying to think, DeSantis now is around 17 18 maybe 20%. I would say a solid 18%, uh, and then everyone else tails off, you know, 2%, 3%, maybe 4%, 1%, 0%. So it's really Trump's to lose. Um, one of the theories coming out of the US, out of guys I've been talking about over talking to over there, um, is that this could be building up to be a Trump DeSantis. Um, campaign. Now, personally, I think that would be a waste of DeSantis. Uh, what I, what I, my personal view is I think DeSantis should run as hard as he can to build a name in the states that are away from Florida where he doesn't have a big name now and, and, and fundraise really hard into a super PAC um, now f- for this. Let Trump take the next four years and then DeSantis come out after his governorship finishes um, mid, uh, say, 20, in 2026, uh, and then have two solid years um, of, um, of campaigning uh, in, into uh, an eight-year term as president. Because he's only 44, 45, you know, 40, yeah, 40, mid-40s. Um, so he's got plenty of time. And he could build up a huge war chest between now and the 2026 election. Um, so, mm. 26? 28. Yeah, you know, when, when, yeah 20, 28 it'll be. Sorry, 24. So, 26 years, his term will be up as governor. So, 26 to, then running for the 28. Mm. So, that, that could be, that, that's really what I think the Santa should do. Whether he does it or not, who knows? Because um, to run a presidential election, you need to raise one one point two billion dollars um, to you know to you the party and 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 you you care you you're supporting PACs 
um, political PACs. PACs in the US stands for political action committees. Um, so, yeah, it's like you need a lot of dough to, to run for president. So. Mm. And we've we've we're also seeing Donald Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., coming to Australia. So is there any yeah. reason for that? Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's a promotional tour. He's coming out. I think Nigel Farage is coming out with him at the same time. I've already got my tickets um, to, to go and see him. Uh, I'll be there waving the flag. Um, Joel uh, at um, Turning Point Australia um, is putting on the show uh, and is doing a really good job. So if you want to go and see it, guys, I, I, I would suggest go out and um, uh, buy your tickets. Uh, and come along and support and don't let the lefties don't go to I, I wouldn't go to the Melbourne show because I reckon that's where the the, the real bad protest stuff's going to be because uh, you know Melbourne's full of lefty loonies um, uh, and um, so I'm going to the Brisbane show and uh, yeah so it should be really really good I'm looking forward to it so. mm. yeah well on to the next point, which is now on to the US and China. So there's now trade talks between the US and China. It's being held in Beijing, uh, where the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is currently in Beijing. And the main reason he's visiting there to talk with the Chinese president is because of to mend relationships uh, from the incident five months ago with that spy balloon, but it's also to um, work through the tension of what they're talking about with trades. So can you give us a bit of insight into what this whole meeting is and is there anything that the media isn't reporting on with it? Yeah, look, there's, um, there's quite a bit going on. Um, he's supposed to meet Xi Jinping, to, was it today or tomorrow? Um, uh, today's Tuesday. So but I think he was supposed to meet Xi Jinping today. He met with his counterpart. Uh, he met with one of the trade officials and that sort of stuff. A lot of this will also be getting in-person briefings from um, the, 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 the intelligence agencies from the embassy about what's actually happening on the ground and happening, you know, uh, the, what's happening around Z and all that sort of stuff um, and, uh, and getting, just, just finding the lay of the land, you know, when, when Z going to end up with a, a lead breakfast one morning and, you know, who's, gonna, who's likely to take his place um, and all that sort of stuff. So, this is more than just trade talks. Um, there's a, there'll be a lot of strategic stuff happening from the State Department side of things there. Plus, you've got to remember that China and the US have a lot of trade. Like they do a lot of trade between each other. You know, the, the US buying goods, China buying, buying componentry. Uh, a lot of these sanctions that are put on are just stupid shit um, that you think that they're big on the surface and when you look at it, but when you scratch the surface and have a look, they're really nothing. Um, there's all the backdoor stuff that can happen and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what this is really about is, um, is, is, my, is keeping the channels open between the two major powers and the US trying to exert its dominance over China, but not to the Chinese, right, to the supporters back in the US and around the world, who think that the US is going to be the dominant empire forever, right? That's what this is more about. These, these punching bag scenarios that you see in the media are all about that, all about the US can, trying to continue its dominance around the world. And we all know that that's not happening. And there is a slide 
into the new empire. The new empire is the BRICS. We're starting to see the BRICS grow in numbers. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was um, Argentina officially joined the other week. Um, they were always a soft member, but I think they officially signed up. Um, we know Saudi Arabia is part of it. Um, there's nations in Europe now. Uh, sorry, nations in yeah in Eastern Europe that are looking to to join join the BRICS. Um, so we, we all know that the move to that um, that group is happening. The new empire is moving that way, uh, and and it always does. It, it's it's a cycle. China was five thousand years ago uh, the center of the world, center of trade, center of invention, center of of, of a great civilization, um, and it's been pushed backwards, you know, in recent years by you know communist ideals. But um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting interesting play. Uh, so watch this space about the communique that comes out after this trip, and the more that it says that they got stuff done is more about making sure both sides keep face you know, with their supporter base. It's all about popularity. 100%. Politics and especially global politics um, is more about popularity than anything else. Hmm. Yeah. And now we'll move across, to, across the world to Ireland where... Good old Ireland. The Irish Greens Party now are coming out saying they believe that people's rights and freedoms should be taken for the common good. And as we all know, when you hear stuff like that, it's clearly a communist belief. But it's one thing to joke and laugh about it. I mean, that's all you can really do. But when you actually listen to what they say, it's just completely absurd and quite surreal, with, like, in my own opinion. So um, do you think there's going to be any action taken from this belief or is it them just kind of having their speech no, no, I, I think um, in see, the Greens parties in Europe are actually gaining some traction. Um, not so much that they will be, um, say, a major, major force, in, especially in Ireland, won't be a major force. Sinn Féin um, will probably be the major force uh, in Ireland for a while now. But they exert influence and they push these ideals and that sort of stuff. But when I actually watched the speech that this woman gave, I couldn't believe what she was saying and how she was saying it. She truly believed in a heart of hearts that laws and, and her view trumped everyone else's view. For the common good, this this term "common good," it's a massive, massive socialism, you know, thing. Because Stalin used it and starved forty million people in Ukraine, starved a hundred million people throughout the Soviet Union by taking food off people and rationing everything for the common good. China did the same thing, got rid of religion for the common good, murdered heaps of people. Pol Pot, um, you know, pretty much every dictator, uh, Mussolini, Franco, um, you know, pretty much any dictator in the world, if you go through their speeches, 
when they're when they're trying to claim and say why they're doing something, it's always for the common good. And it's never for the common good. The only person that it's good for is the person in power, the dictator, right? Um, a lot of the corporatized religions of the world and the activist groups in the world are taking on the same um, language. They're not necessarily using the term common good, but they're definitely using terms that are around that ideal to push over their ideas. Things like um, the rich need to pay their fair share, right? Whenever you hear that, you know, one, the person doesn't pay tax. Two, that they have no idea who pays the tax already. The rich in countries like Australia, the US, Canada, the first world countries, the nation, they pay the majority of the tax already to allow them to have their freeloading lifestyle, right? So when you hear these terms, be very, very afraid of what the person's really saying. Um, and, and we're starting to see it in, like, uh, I think we brought it up the other, the other week about the, um, the same job, same pay, right? The, some of the language that's been used in that is, you know, it's for the benefit of everyone. Well, it's not. It's going to lower the wages. It's going to lower the standard that you'll get in the employee base. The voice is a prime example. Of, of some legislation that is, um, trust us, it's for the good of everyone. Well, no. It's for the good of a select few individuals who will control that portion of the economy or that portion of the nation. So when you have people standing up in parliaments giving speeches along these lines, um, the reason that they can give those speeches is because they're, they're in countries that are allowed the differentiation of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom of, of movement, freedom of whatever. But when they're saying that, you know, and, and people are, are, are taking them serious, that your rights have to be taken because of what I want to happen, um, that's very, very dangerous, and it, and, it, and it's a it's a I know the term slippery slope. I, I don't like to use that, but it's a very, very um, bad start to where something will happen if it goes back to what we said before, where it's always the minorities who yell the loudest to push stuff through. So, so be very careful of, of listening to politicians and and activists that start using this language because the more, and, and academics, academics are terribly, terribly biased at using those sort of languages. So, mm. And then as Aidan says, at this stage, even the Catholic Church will turn against them and they want to kill 200,000 cows. Yeah, I know. How stupid is that? They want to kill 200,000 cows, get rid of, forget what it was, it's, it's, it's like 8,000 farmers will, will lose their jobs. Um, in a country that um, um, basically is an agrarian society. Mm. So, 
Yeah, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, and we have a question here from Jeff. How many more rate hikes do you think are coming for Australia? Um, given that this is the rate hike thing now is more political, that it's um, um, it, it, it's it, it's becoming a it's becoming a, a political tool by the Reserve Bank. I think we've probably got another two or three where I thought we were nearing the end. I really did. And and the Treasurer and Albanese's um, basically big fuck you to the Reserve Bank uh, in the budget and the way that they've treated the Reserve Bank Governor uh, pretty much says that the Reserve Bank Governor is going to retaliate. And what can he retaliate with? He can retaliate with interest rates. Um, that's not good for us, everyone out there that, that requires this sort of stuff. Um, but it is, um, it's definitely um, uh, going to be another couple, uh, yeah. Maybe not, not all at once. They're probably, um, so we had one in June. We may have one uh, in August. Uh, they may go neutral to see if there's any effect um, uh, of, of the rising interest rates, which means, you know, did the government pull its head in? And they haven't because they've just announced this, you know, was it $2 billion for social housing? Um, and a lot of this money is unfunded, so it's got to come from somewhere. And they keep pushing money into the um, into the off-balance sheet columns and moving money into the, the unfunded area post um, or, yeah, post the um, budgetary period. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, it's probably a long-winded way of saying three. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that with the news. Mm. So um doesn't seem like there's any more questions, but do you have any fun facts you want to share with anyone today? Or I noticed you didn't have anything listed, but anything come to no, mind? No, I didn't have anything really listed because I've been, been running around and the silver linings took one of the, the, the interesting facts um, off. One, one of the things that is... I'm getting heavily into is um, is is alternate podcasts. So podcasts from people that have um, really interesting ideas around a particular topic. Um, for instance, um, I'm, I'm getting into Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk around his marketing um, stuff. Um, I've been listening to um, uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I went back over Robert, Kawasaki, Robert Kawasaki's cash flow uh, quadrant and that sort of stuff. Um, Ray Dalio's principles. Um, I, I even, um, and this is the alternate stuff coming out into me, uh, went and there's a guy that's put some of George Soros's quotes and stuff uh, out there and and it really goes to show you how evil that 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 gentleman was and actually over the last week he's handed over to his son um alex not his elder son this is the middle son i think alex who is very very political so it goes to show you that he skipped over 
I think he was, yeah, his eldest son is very business orientated and not political. And he, and he basically gave control of the family fortune to his politically active son who's basically said he's going to do everything to be political. So that was that's a very telling way where Soros wants his money spent you know, in political activism uh, and that sort of stuff. So, and you got to got a lot of people think that that George Soros is is you know one of the the evil cartel. Yeah, he may have in the in, but he's just a very political activist um, with a lot of money, um, similar vein to the the, the Co brothers or the Koch brothers. Uh, on the other side of the political fence, um, and uh, and then the Hunt brothers before that. So uh, there, there is a lot of guys with, with politics, um, a lot of money that they throw at politics and a lot of money that they throw at activism uh, because they think it's the right thing to um, to get behind. So, mm. uh, and, and that's, sorry, and that's I'll just put in there. Don't confuse activism right and the active engagement of pushing an ideal for someone who's pulling strings right where, where, where we are in the world now is the pulling strings to get the, the the wheel or the snowball going is gone it's passed it's finished we're now in group think huge mentality driven uh, ideology of, of pushing the agenda because enough people now actually truly believe it as a religion. Climate change is now believed as a religion. You know, wokeism um, and all that stuff around gender and that is now starting to be believed as a religion or along the lines of religion and of mass um, psychosis in people. So, um, so what we're seeing now is the efforts of 30 and 40 years of changing our, our uh, political and education systems. Mm -hmm. And speaking of religion, we did have a question here from Aidan about your take on the World Economic Forum, so Klaus Schwab and Noel Harari wanting AI to rewrite the Bible to make religion more correct. Yeah, uh, look, that, that is, that's just pure bullshit. Um, it's like, well, how can you make a book of stories that are literally just stories written by people over 5,000 years because um, some of the writings of the Bible actually go pre-Christ um, pre uh, if you actually go right back into the Sumerian texts um, that uh, and rewrite it with AI. All right, it, it's just it, you, you're basically just starting to... Um, uh, just show yourself out to be a, a one-sided idiot um, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I do think that AI is going to have good and evil, uh, and everything does. If you have a look at it, you need a yin and yang. Uh, I think that um, you've got to be very careful on on AI and where you're, which AI you're using, because we know that the Google and the Bing uh, AIs uh, have been um, corrupted. Um, they've corrupted the original uh, uh, GPT model. Uh, I'm waiting for when, I can't remember which model it is, 
in the GPT lineup, but one of them uh, they're going to put back onto the internet at some point in time. So GPT or open, what do they call it? Open AI is the one that um, Elon Musk um, helped found uh, with a donation early on in its uh, in its life form. Uh, one of the other things to watch is Elon Musk's um, Neuralink uh, and how um, how much AI starts to go into Neuralink um, because that could be a very, very interesting uh, thing. So Neuralink is a, basically a chip in your head, so, which I wouldn't be going anywhere near. Um, I'd rather play a dummy than... Um, then, then have that put up in my head. Um, so, yeah, not a I mean, good thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, we also had a question here from Jeff. What are the implications of the de-dollarization process that seems to be moving forward at an expanding rate? What do you mean by de-dollarization? The, um, the use of the US dollar as a currency or the the cashless going cashless if it's um if it's stopping using the dollar as the reserve currency and currency for trade that's been happening now for 20 years um it's only going to to get more and more as the BRICS and, and the um, the new empire takes over um once that gets into full flight um which i expect will happen over the next couple of years where we see a well China already has the chip system, which is the um, the new SWIFT, um, and it's in full flight. They're using it now. They're, they're doing settlements between um, China, Russia, Saudi Arabia in oil and steel and, and a whole heap of other commodities, um, which has been settled in their local currencies. Saudi Arabia uses the renminbi. Um, Russia uses the ruble, and China uses the renminbi as well, or the RMB. Um so we're seeing that happen now, and you'll see more and more BRICS nations start to do it um, because that basically means that they don't have to um, transact or do anything through the US banking system. Uh, why, why would you, you know, why, why would you aid, if you want to use the term, aid the enemy? So, or aid your competitor. Yeah. Well, that seems to be all of the questions. Unless anyone has any more, I'll give you guys a couple more minutes to um, write them. I just want to quickly share about some plans because we do have some webinars planned for the next few weeks. So just keep an eye on your emails. You'll get plenty more information from us. Um, uh, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, Stephen, on the Heritage Act because we we covered the farmers, what's happening around the WA farmers a few weeks ago, and they're now going to be passing a Heritage Act around um, early July. So that's going to take full effect, I'm sure, on farmers. And we do want to help a lot uh, cover that topic. So especially farmers out there, there'll be a lot more content coming around that for some training of ways to navigate that. Um, so stay tuned for that. And um, while we have you here, Stephen, did you have any thoughts on it that you wanted to share? Um, other than what I've already said, plus it's, it, when you, the more and more you look at it, the more and more you go, it's just evil legislation. It is truly evil legislation it's just shit um and um it is um um put it this way it is what the voice will become and more right 
So if you take what that legislation is and, and just double it, take how New Zealand operates um, and explode it. And the reason I say that it's bigger is because Australia's bigger, economy's bigger um, than, than just WA or just New Zealand when it's applied to our entire economy and our entire landmass. Um, it becomes a, a pretty epic, um, epic position, and uh, and it's it's been drafted in a way that it's going to target a lot of people. So. Do you think it will target more than just farmers eventually? Oh well, it does. So anyone who who has a block of land eleven hundred square meters or more um, is open to it. Property developers, home users. You know, uh, if you got an 1,100 square metre block or 1,101 square metre block or whichever way it goes um, and you want to do something on it, you're going to apply with the Act, right? And so, you know, the, the, the service industry that will be created around this legislation, you know, the KPMGs, the PWCs um, of the world, they're rubbing their hands together because they're just going, oh, my God, we're going to get so much work out of, out of a, um, consulting with people to get around this legislation. So. Mm. Yeah, and when you're not careful, it is a really frightening time. Like, it's not just that you have to worry about, but there's plenty of other topics going on, like what we've covered today. And even while you were saying with The Voice, there's so much happening. And um, have you noticed, like, what's the general feel you've noticed with people around you and just people in general? Are they feeling fearful at all? Are they feeling traumatised or anxious? Anything you're noticing? Um, in my immediate circle, most of us, we're just taking it one day at a time and, and running through anything that, that hits us in the head um, and, and, and dealing with that. No, no, no anxiety or fear or anything like that. It's just realisation um, that this is where we're at. Uh, there, is a, there is people out there that are worried, um, and that, that's for sure. There is people out there that are anxious, especially the ones that have believed everything, uh, especially off the back of COVID, like through COVID, off the back of COVID and all that sort of stuff, and they're starting to see the cracks in the people that they idolised, like the Brett Suttons of the world, you know, the, um, the, the Murphy, the Dr Murphy, the, the chief health scientist. They're starting to see all the cracks around this stuff now, and it's... And it's not so much that they're fearful and that some of it's regret that they actually gave in so easy. Um, I, I, I have seen that and I, I've spoken to people about it. Like one of the comments was made, um, I can't remember where I was, and, um, and on the TV come that there's, there's an ad to get your top-up COVID booster, right? And one of the, the people there, uh, I can't remember whether it was a male or a woman, basically said, um, I, I'm never going to trust the government again on that topic. Um, I feel that they blatantly lied. Right? And this is someone um, who actually thought that, um, that they were doing the right thing. Right? They obviously thought that they they thought they were doing the right thing, getting protected and all that sort of stuff. 
And now they, they just feel blatantly lied to. Trust in, their trust in government has been shattered, but that shattered their world, right? So their whole world was this belief in government, the government's good, it won't, it won't do anything to harm me. That's just, you know, shattered. So they now have no trust in, 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 in sort of authority and all that sort of stuff. Um, trust in our police, trust in our, our um, uh, public sector um, has basically been eroded as well by, and, and by people who thought that they were there to, to look. So yeah. a lot mm. of it's, yeah, realisation, I would say, more than anxiety and fear. With the with the common people, I couldn't agree more with you. I've I've kind of noticed that a lot of people seem to be a lot more sober, and especially in the hypersensitive world that we live in, with everything going on, um, I'm sure you can agree that mental health is one of the most important things to take care of. Because really, at the end of the day, all you can really take care of is control what's what you can control, and um, it's one of the most important things to be aware of. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Look look after look after your noggin. And that kind of leads me to what I was going to do because we actually, it was more of a spontaneous decision because after Thailand, myself and Warren, we have got a very interesting story to share with everyone, but I don't have time to go through it um, today. It really opened both of our awareness on mental health through all I can really say is a fucked up experience for both of us for about 30 hours. Um, those of you that know Thailand, you would know that cannabis over in that country is now 100% legal. You can pretty much see cannabis on every corner of store. Um, and those of you that are familiar with what cannabis is like, we made this very smart decision to have one full brownie rather than taking it in doses like you're supposed to. So essentially we four times overdose on some on eating cannabis and all I can say is the next 30 hours, like I was basically living in a mental asylum, but after I came out of it, I noticed how much cleaner I felt and just getting rid of anxiety that I didn't even know I had, um, how much greater focus I have and more ready I am to fall to face whatever's to come. So I would really encourage everyone to come to that because we're going to be giving really good tips and lessons that we both learned through that whole experience. Um, if, if nothing else, just come along and listen for a good laugh because we'll be sharing the whole story and what we actually went through and giving our lessons that we learned from it. And outside of that, once you get in a good headspace, the rest kind of will take care of itself. Like we've also got trainings planned, like I said, on how to navigate common law rights with the Heritage Act, um, especially for property owners. And we've got a couple more things planned, but I won't spoil that just yet. We'll send that to your email over the coming weeks. But um, I'll put the link in here for you guys to check out the interview that we're doing tomorrow. I would, like I said, I'd encourage everyone to come listen to that to get some really good tips out of it. If nothing else, you'll come for a good laugh and listen to our story. Um, I'm not sure if Warren's shared shared it with you, Stephen, but it was a, it was a whirlwind, that's for sure. Not yet. I, I'm yet to get that story. Yeah, we'll have to share it with you. <laughs> Definitely. Well, all right, guys. That's it for me. Any final words from you, Stephen? No, nah, um, just go out there, look after yourselves. Um, as as we always say, take one one um, one small action step, uh, and and if you can, um, it might be worthwhile coming along to um, the the Trump Junior event, even if it's just to see Nigel Farage. Um, I'm probably looking more forward to Nigel than than I am Trump Junior. So. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, for those of the people that are going to come to, where do they get tickets? Just Google it. 
Yeah, um, it's Trump Live or Trump Junior Live dot com dot au, and go from there. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, thanks, Stephen, for your time. Thanks again, everyone, for attending and staying till the end. We always appreciate and appreciate your engagement. And I'll see everyone either tomorrow's interview or I'll see you in the next Economy Update at the same time. 